0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, welcome to another Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Mike Rosenbaum is pinch hitting for Jim Callis possibly Wally pipping him. Mike, is that the plan? That is the plan. Never hear from Jim Callis again. Something close to that, at least. The last we've ever heard from Jim Callis. Hopefully not. Wow. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Uh, yeah, Jim is uh, taking a week of vacation this week. All right, so on this week's show, we're going to uh, dive into the postseason, looking at it through the rookie lens. We'll look at some of the top performances by rookies so far in this postseason, including one Alex Kirilov, who made a little bit of postseason history uh, last week. He will uh, join the show and talk to Jonathan. Also, look at Davey Garcia, who's about to make Yankees postseason history as we uh, record this podcast. We'll look at how the division series teams were built, and uh, we're going to check in on our postseason picks from a week ago and see how we're doing there. We'll also look a little bit at the a wave of young Dominican pitchers coming up through the minor leagues, and some having reached the big leagues now who grew up idolizing Pedro Martinez. Uh, we'll do a rookie StatCast roundup. Mike is going to look at some of the top StatCast performers from this year's rookie class, and we will answer your questions as well. Uh, guys, let's uh, get into the postseason. We are into the Division Series round. There were a lot of prospects uh, and rookies we knew going into this postseason that we're going to play a big role and uh, we have not been disappointed so far. Uh, a few of the uh, rookie of the year candidates have come up big. Uh, Cronenworth has been very good. Jay Cronenworth with Padres has been very good. Uh, Robert before the White Sox got bounced, uh, was impressive. Uh, Ian Anderson and Sixto Sanchez on the mound have been very good. Uh, One player who was not really in the rookie of the year consideration, did have a very, very good year, although abbreviated, but has been probably, arguably the best rookie in the playoffs so far, Randy Orozarena of the Rays. Um, Mike, I know that uh, he's on uh, one of your teams. Um, I don't know whether this is a surprise to you at all, or if uh, you expected him to kind of come up on the big stage uh, like he has, but he's second in total bases overall among all players in the postseason so far. Seven for 12, two doubles, a triple, a home run, five runs scored. He's batting right in the middle of that raised lineup, batting third. Like I said, this is a a carryover from a very strong regular season where he slashed 281, 382, 641, had seven home runs in just 24 games, a home run every nine at bats. Give us your thoughts on uh on a rosarena.
1: Yeah, so I don't think it's it's completely surprising that he you know tore the cover off the ball down the stretch of the season and, and you know has continued to do so in the postseason. Um when he signed with the Cardinals, you know, he was a second baseman outfielder um out of Cuba. I think he was like 21. Um and you know, the tools were always there with him, you know, very athletic, um uh quick, twitchy, um, athleticism, uh, really quick bat. Uh, but you know, for I guess the first two seasons of his minor league career, just like the consistency wasn't there. Um, but that changed last year in, in double and triple A with the Cardinals. And obviously he got to the big leagues before being traded to the Rays this off season. And then, um, you know, after a delayed start, he he has just been raking, you know, it's, it's really hard to get the guy out in, in um, the first game of the ALDS against the Yankees last night. I think it was all four of his um, batted balls had an exit velocity of at least like 102 miles per hour, including one was like 107 plus one was a, 111. So, this guy is is you know basically hitting the crap out of the ball and, and doing so just about you know every trip to the plate. Well, not exactly, but uh, quite often w- when he goes up there. And I think that's what's really been surprising. I I didn't expect to see this type of consistency um, from uh, Arasurana, considering what he did in the minor leagues. But you know the underlying numbers all, all support that. Like this this is for real. You know he's got above average. Uh, exit velo, above, ag- uh, above average barrel percentage, hard hit rate. You know, like, it, it's um, it's for real. It's not that he's getting lucky or anything like that. Will there be regression next year? Like, you know, maybe. He, he's playing out of his mind right now, but uh, the performance is real. And, and man, he's done wonders uh, uh, deepening that Rays lineup, hasn't he?
2: He's not going to hit 580 next year?
1: <laughs> I mean, who knows? Depends on how short the season kinda... is.
2: It's kind of been insane. Before I go further, I just want to do a check in with Jason to make sure that uh, that he's doing okay as a as a Cardinals fan, talking this glowingly about a guy they they gave up on. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I love a Rosarino. I I wish that he got more of a chance when he was with the Cardinals. Um, you know, I I thought that uh, you know with a chance to play more that that you know not that he was going to put up numbers like he has this year. But, uh, I, I, always wanted to see him in the lineup more often, but, uh, you know, that was, that was, uh, certainly an interesting trade. Um, the Rays gave up a lot. Uh, they got some, uh, you know, they got some, some proven major league talent in that deal as well, but giving up Levator, um, you know, they're, they they were not going to give him up, uh, for a, a, a small return package. And, um, I, you know, I think, Rosarina seems like he was kind of a wild card in that deal because you didn't know exactly what you were going to get out of him. Uh, But so far, obviously, the uh, early returns are very positive.
2: It's been—I mean, I think it's—you know—Mike ran down all you know the exit velos and the hard hit rate and the the power. It's not that surprising. You knew that there was in there. It's just the the consistency that he has been impacting the baseball for extra base. Went seven for his first twelve in the in the postseason as we're recording this, and four of those seven hits are extra base hits.
1: And he's doing it against good pitching too, you know.
2: Right, and it, and it's not cheapies. He's not right. he's not hitting a blooper down the line and stretching it for a double. I mean, he is absolutely tattooing the baseball, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, even when he got called up before the playoffs, you know, he got called up and kind of right away uh, started showing what he could do and was, I think it was his second game. I remember talking about it on the podcast. It, he was hitting third in their lineup almost instantaneously. Uh, so, you know, the Rays recognized what, uh, what he was capable of doing and he's continued to, to sort of reward their faith in his bat.
0: You mentioned him uh, not hitting a blooper down the line and stretching it into a double, but he does have really good wheels as well. Uh, saw that he had uh, some, uh, elite sprint speed over the past uh, few over his first few postseason games. I actually wondered whether we were a little light on his uh, speed grade. I think we have him at a, as a 55. I saw him with uh, elite speed, just a, another tool that we haven't even discussed when when talking about him.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's, uh, I'm glad you bring that up because I think one really cool aspect of the season is, you know, with all of these rookies getting a chance in the major leagues, we have, um, you know, hard data on on what they can do you know all all the measurables and and an example like that is hey this guy is you know actually runs better than we've been told or that we've seen um during his time as a prospect and and, you know beyond just the speed the guy can play all three outfield spots you know that's a valuable player
0: so a arena uh i mentioned second in total bases in the postseason so far um jake cronenworth and sean murphy are tied for seventh um Murphy uh you know, I think he kind of a sneaky quiet uh, really really good season um I want to say he was in our top 10 when we ranked rookies overall and I think maybe also somewhat surprisingly it was just the the raw power and uh, Mike I know that in your statcast article which we'll talk about more in depth later uh he had the longest home run of any rookie uh during the regular season this year and and he uh, smashed a uh, Another one the other day,
1: yeah. What he he had two against the yeah, yeah, in the um, in the postseason. Yeah, he uh, he smashes the ball, and, it, and it's a lot of power to center too. You know, uh, I feel like down the stretch and into the postseason, he was really staying on the ball and and getting the most of his power by driving the ball to center field. And um, you know, as you just mentioned, he had the the longest home run during the regular season, um, and and more than that, it was I think five of his seven regular season home runs were all 400 plus feet, you know? So kind of like, um, Rosarena, like th- there's nothing cheap about, about the quality of, of Murphy's contact. You know, he, he's driving the ball. He's sitting for power and, you know, that that's not even getting into what he offers defensively. Behind yeah, the right. I would say
2: yeah, yeah. You can't. he is, uh, You know, he's been sort of more power over hit, although his on-base skills are really, really good. It's it's sort of a a slightly odd profile, I think, in a lot of ways. I I think he's going to end up hitting better than he has, um, you know, from the sort of standard uh, batting average and and things of that nature, just because his approach is is good. And he doesn't swing and miss that much given his power. But, you know, the real reason why he – is starting you know the power is great and he contributes to the lineup but it's more what he does behind the plate he's a really really good defender I don't want to say the offense is is bonus uh, but his ability to work with pitchers as if he's been back there for years and years uh, is the biggest reason why he's their starter right now and why they felt comfortable Starting him in the wild card game a year ago, um, you know it's really advanced uh, game calling, blocking. His hands are great. He's got a really good arm. Uh, he, you know, and and you have to take that into consideration when looking at him, especially when you're trying to compare him uh, to other rookie seasons. Uh, you know, during this year, a couple other
0: hitters who uh, were eliminated. But it uh, was really fun to get to see them in the postseason. Uh, Lewis Robert, of course, and uh, Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals as well. Robert, you know, we knew going into the season was a rookie of the year front runner. Looked like he he and Kyle Lewis were going to be neck and neck throughout the entire season. And then Robert really fell off toward the end of the regular season, but then kind of turned it on in the postseason. And uh, Mike, I mentioned that in your StatCast article, Sean Murphy had the longest home run by a rookie in the regular season. And then that just got demolished uh, in the postseason with uh, Robert's bomb. What was it? it 487. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I was about to say, can we just take a minute and just acknowledge like how big of a bomb that was that that ball was destroyed. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's what you get with Robert. He's another guy who hits the ball very hard um, when he does make contact. That was an issue for him in September, obviously. Uh, But the power, the raw power is, is. Really impressive, and I think you know in in a in his second season in a, in a full season, we're going to see a lot more of that.
0: And then Carlson was a guy who, when we we ranked the rookies who would have the biggest impact in the postseason, uh, Mike, you did that story, and then we we did that a few days in advance, not knowing uh, exactly which teams were going to make it in the in L as it came down to the wire, and we had to. Uh, juggle that list a little bit once all the teams were set. And so we had to add another player to the list and our addition was Carlson. And instead of just tacking him onto the bottom of the list, we actually put him right around the middle of the list um, because, you know, coming down the stretch after he got called up, um, he was a much better player, um, much better hitter than he was uh, prior to getting sent back down to the alternate training site. And uh, he did; uh, he had an impact for the Cardinals in the postseason as well.
1: Yeah, and I know this is kind of cliche, but it just it, after he came back up and, and you know down the stretch of the regular season and into the postseason, it just seemed like the game was moving a lot slower for him in a good way.
2: Yeah, I think he's just so good. I, I, I he was not someone that I was overly concerned with when he's you know had some early struggles that happened to so many good players. Uh, you know, I knew he was going to figure it out, and I think who we saw down the stretch and in the postseason is who he's going to be uh, you know he's an elite level player there's a reason why we had him ranked as high as we did and uh, i think he's going to continue to uh, prove us right as he as he settles in you know i'm assuming starting opening day in 2021
1: and you could even say that you know the opportunity for Carlson this season doesn't arise unless the Cardinals trade uh, a rosarena during the offseason
2: interesting. We've come full circle.
1: We have. Tying, right. in,
0: tying it in. All right. Quickly, I uh, want to touch on some some pitchers. I uh, mentioned Ian Anderson and Sixto Sanchez. Uh, guys, prior to last Thursday uh, when Anderson took the mound and then uh, Sanchez followed him the next day, only one rookie pitcher in MLB history had struck out six or more batters in five or more scoreless innings in his first postseason start. That was Sonny Gray. And then Anderson and Sanchez did that in a 24-hour period, uh, both with outstanding starts, uh, tossing six and five shutout innings. Uh, Anderson and Sanchez. I was hoping we might get to see them in a head-to-head duel, but it looks like Anderson's going to go in game two for the Braves against Pablo Lopez. And then Sixto Sanchez will face another Braves rookie in Kyle Wright in game three. But both of these guys uh, looking good with the bright light shining on him in the postseason.
2: Yeah, I think the, uh, the thing that's interesting, you know, Anderson, for the most part, was good for his entire time up. You know, 6-0 struggled a little bit down the stretch. Um, so for him to, you know, f- be able to flip the switch for the postseason, which a lot of great performers have done over the years, was really good to see. I wasn't 100% sure what we were going to see from him in the postseason just because... Uh, you know, when we were doing the sort of final rookie rankings, his last three out of his last four starts were not very good. Um, And he was really struggling with his overall command, both within and and outside of the zone. And uh, he looked more like the Sixto Sanchez we saw, you know, from the get-go and the one that everyone's been excited about for so long. I mean, the stuff is so electric. Um, You know, if he is sort of, on his on his game, he's very, very tough to hit. And that's, uh, even though he walked two and hit two, uh, the rest of the time he, he he was so electric. And Ian Anderson just sort of comes, just goes out and gets it done. And for a guy who uh, we probably had ranked a little bit lower because there were some command issues uh, over the last couple of years, there have been no command issues since he's been up in the big leagues.
0: All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from another Rookie who uh, had a lot of eyes on him when he made his postseason debut, uh, and that was also his major league debut. Twins prospect Alex Kirilov. That's coming up next. One one swung on and hammered deep. Top. That is.
1: And just a major league hitter. Fastball, that's hit well. Out to deep right field, and he has done it again. Alex
3: Kirilov,
1: a leadoff home run, his fourth consecutive game. 1-1, that's ripped into right field. That's exactly what Rocco Baldelli told us about Alex Kirilov. He is an absolute huge elite bat.
2: Power to all fields, and he can play both corner upfields in first base. Congratulations to Alex Kirilov on his first major league hit coming in the postseason. And as a result, we will ask for the baseball. Move, there's a fly ball right center field.
0: Kepler drifting over, and it's going to be Kirilov. Kirilov having to dive for it, and he does catch it and come up with it. Kepler gave way to Kirilov,
2: and Kirilov, boy, he caught that ball, ran a long way. Those highlights, of course, came courtesy of Alex Kirilov during his historic Major League debut in the postseason, number two prospect on the Twins' top 30, number 27 on our top 100, and uh, I'm excited to welcome him into uh, our podcast right now. Alex, it's good to see you again, and it's good to talk to you again. It's actually actually been a little while since you and I have had a chance to talk.
3: Yeah, it has. uh, You know, things things change in a hurry. Uh, but you know, all things considering, uh, you know, kind of just try to make the best of, you know, all the circumstances that were given to us this year and, um, you know, hopefully <laughs> better days are ahead.
2: Yeah. Uh, let, let's, let's get, go through uh, all of it. Cause obviously it's been such a strange thing, but let's start with, uh, the post season. Uh, you were at the twins alternate site, um, All reports were that you were hitting, like, I don't know, 800 or whatever it was, just, you know, couldn't make it out. At what point did you have an idea that they might add you to the postseason roster? Uh,
3: I didn't really have a a clear idea of that. Um, You know, the whole time in St. Paul, I think the hardest part about it was probably just staying focused, Um, you know, because you're, you know, and you have a clear idea that you're, the whole goal there is to stay ready, you know, if you're needed. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, it kind of just gets monotonous. You're doing the same thing every day, you know, working on defense, practicing, taking live ABs off, you know, mostly the same pitchers and playing inter-squad games. And, um, you know, sometimes you don't know if there's really like a silver lining to, you know, all the stuff that you're doing and all the work that you're putting in. Um, so doing it, you know, day in and day out, it, it it's difficult. Like I said, just to to keep your focus and uh, you know to try to carry that out, you know, throughout the whole summer. Um, so I, I was just happy when when that kind of all culminated that they kept me around on the uh, the shortened uh, taxi squad for the playoffs, and then um, you know I just got a call late uh, the night before it started, and uh, it was just a pleasant surprise and, you know, I was super happy.
2: Now, I guess you had game one to sort of uh, let your, your heart rate come down a little bit, although you needed to be ready, you know, at any given time. How difficult of a bounce, I mean, making your major league debut, and we heard like from some of your teammates even talking about it, how impressed they were with how you handled it. Making your major league debut in the middle of April is hard enough making your major league debut in, in a postseason game is kind of insane. Uh, how, how did you find a way to, to sort of slow things down and, and not get too overly excited so you could still go out and, and play the game the way you play it?
3: Uh, yeah, I'll start with, I think uh, being in the dugout and, and watching the whole first game, you know, for the most part, I think it definitely helped. Um, the other aspect of there not being fans there uh, I think also helped because uh, that's part of the equation um, when you're transitioning from the minor leagues to the major leagues. Um, but for me on the day that, you know, I played, you know, I didn't find out till I got to the field. It's a little bit after I got to the field. Um, so I wasn't really thinking about it the night before. Um, I just tried to, you know, stay in my same routine, just prepare like I would prepare for any other game. Uh, just said a prayer for for peace and, and comfort and just to be able to stay focused throughout the whole game. And uh, once I got out there, it you know, kind of was just like another game of baseball. So it was a lot of fun.
2: Did you breathe a sigh of relief after that first at-bat? I know it was just a, a fly out, you know, and, and what did you take from that first at bat? I know that you're so you're such a student of hitting uh, into that that second one where where you were able to pick up uh, you know the sort of strange first major league hit that doesn't count towards your major league hit
3: total. Yeah. For me, like when I go back to, you know, once you, once the game starts there's for me, there's so many different like small details within a game that you're trying to pick up on, you're paying attention to. So it's hard to think of like the whole moment and everything that's going on when, when you're so focused on all these small details going on. Um, so for me, I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm just First at bat, you know, I was able to see some pitches, um, and just kind of make you know the mental notes that I needed to make going into my second at bat, and you know, I made a good adjustment.
2: You also showed that you're not just a hitter. Uh, you, you made a nice play uh, in in the outfield to take me through you know that that read and the route you were able to take on on that really nice sliding catch you had.
3: Yeah, I will admit before. That at bat, you know, usually I check where the center fielder is, where Max was. I wasn't completely aware of where he was. So the whole time I actually thought he was going to catch the ball. (laughs) Um, And at the last second, you know, I didn't hear anything from him. Um, So I just kind of figured it was my ball and, you know, it was time to go get it. Um, So I called it and just, you know, try to react to it.
2: Yeah, you end up going, I think what, one for four overall. Unfortunately, the you know, the the twins run was was short-lived. What you know, it, it's just one game. So obviously you can't put too much import into it, but you know, what are your takeaways from that to carry over to to next year where hopefully you'll you'll get a chance to make a much larger contribution to the big league lineup?
3: Yeah, I think it just gives you, you know, you hear stories and stuff about the big leagues, but you know, I think it just gives you some reassurance that, you know you know, it's something that you can do and something that you can handle and hopefully um, given the opportunity to do it for a long time. And, you know, that's something to be exciting about um, moving forward. And, um, you know, I think it just motivates you to keep working hard, um, you know, stay on top of your preparation for next year and, you know, just see what happens.
2: Now, you made the point about not having fans there and how that maybe helped you sort of stay, stay calmer. The, you, the downside, of course, is, you know, you can't bring 50 friends and family to, to the game with you. Uh, was, was that, you know, sort of bittersweet at all? Or will you count to next year when hopefully everything is opened back up and people can come to games and, and things like that as, uh, as the real, like, way to celebrate with friends and family like you would normally, uh, you know, under normal Major League debut circumstances?
3: Yeah, I, I can definitely say that uh, you hit it on the head a little bit when it was bittersweet. You know, it's, you know, it's something that you kind of share with your family. And, and you know, hopefully that that day, you know, if it ever comes, um, is something that spe- is is special and can be shared with, you know, everyone there in person. Um, so that aspect of it was a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, you know, with that comes a lot of, you know, phone calls and, and moving parts and a little bit of added stress going into it. Um, so I, I can, you know, guess that took a little bit of an edge off that that all wasn't able to happen. Um, but, you know, moving forward into next year, hopefully, we, you know, everyone that you know, wants to come, we can, you know, you know, make that happen and, you know, and, and share that um, first, I guess, regular season game uh, with everyone, hopefully next season.
2: A lot of people don't know that you're, you know, a new, a relatively new father, uh, and I know you saw your family for a little bit, but you had a long stretch of time where, you know, you were part Now that's part of a, of of being in in the world of baseball, but especially now, you know, with all the special protocols and quarantining and being careful. Uh, you know, you had a long stretch, uh, where, where you were, were away. How hard was that for you? And, and as much as you would love to be still be playing baseball right now, uh, how much, how much are you enjoying being, being back home and and kind of reunited with everybody?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be back home with them. Um, you know, I, I joke with my wife that I hate packing and I told her after that night that I've never packed so quickly you know, to come back and, and to see them. Um, you know, it was difficult. I was, was, they were there for, you know, about a month and a half. Um, and we were I was also probably away from them, from them about the same amount of time. Uh, she had to come back for her classes at the end of August. Um, so it was tough. It it was tough being away from her and, you know, away from the the newborn baby as well, kind of missing some things with, you know, the crawling and, and starting to talk. Um, you know, but, Hopefully, throughout you know the course of you know this off season and next year, hopefully we don't have to deal with you know that stretch of time again, and I'll uh, be able to see as many milestones you know in person as as possible. Um, but you know, I'm happy we we made it through it as a team and as a unit, and uh, hopefully we just move forward and not have that length of time again. But you never know.
2: Yeah, nothing beats it. I'm not going to lie to you. Nothing beats it. And I've, got, you know, minor minor old now, but uh but certainly nothing beats it. Back to the the baseball a, a little bit. And you talked about trying to sh- stay sharp during the alternate site when it's you know, teams did their best to simulate competition, but there's only so much you can do. What were like did you have certain tricks, you know, how how did you try to keep yourself not, not motivated because you're a guy who's always loved to just go out and hit and play, but just to try to even mentally s- keep the same kind of focus, knowing that this wasn't the same as if you were playing every day in AAA, say, you know, A, yeah. if this had been a normal season.
3: Uh, it was definitely different um, from the perspective of like a normal minor league season, but at the same time, it, it wasn't something completely abnormal to you because, you know, you grow up not playing in front of many fans You're in the minor leagues and spring training and stuff. You you take live ABs off your teammates and you do some inter-squad games as well. So it wasn't completely uh, out of the realm of normality. It was just kind of on more of a consistent basis than um, you normally have with, with those type of, types of things. Um, so I just try to take it as serious as possible, you know, I just – Uh, I kind of kept my own stats and and my notes. So I had an idea of what I was doing over the whole summer. And that kind of helped me focus a little bit because I was holding myself accountable and, um, you know, just trying to do my best every day. And that's kind of how I went about it.
2: So you kept your own stats. Now the rumor had it is that you hit 800 in an alternate site. Is that, uh, is that embellishing a little bit?
3: Uh, I think that's a little bit inflated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but let's, let's just leave it at that. You, 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 you hit very well. You've tended to hit well when you're out there and playing you and I talked uh, you know, before you, you made your major league debut, that a lot of that has to do with just staying healthy. Uh, I don't know if there was a, a secret. Uh, if you, It's not like your injuries were related to each other. So that you're worrying about like a, a recurring thing, but just, uh, what have you been able to do from maybe even just from a, a conditioning standpoint? Like, what are some of the things you've been able to do so you can stay on the field? And just how good did it feel to feel like you were your, your fullest self, even in this bizarre year?
3: Yeah, for me, it's just just like anything else. As you get older and, and you live and learn uh, over different, you know, lessons and circumstances and stuff. For me, it was like a lot of it's in my preparation, for my games, my swings, you know, my bats, um, you know, last year I had a wrist injury, it wasn't really something that I can avoid, you know, how it happened, but, you know, moving forward, um, I can make sure that my body and my arms and my wrists are as, you know, as prepared for my swings as I feel that they possibly can be. So it's just stuff like that. Um, getting my body ready for, um, those movements and actions is kind of like, the most important thing I feel for me moving forward to stay as healthy as possible.
2: Now that enabled you to make it up to the, to the big leagues, made your major league debut in the postseason, As we've talked about, you're the third player ever to do that. Have you now committed to memory who the other two players are by, by any chance, a little pop quiz for you? Uh,
3: I know Mondesi was the most recent one. Uh, I'm not sure about the, first
2: one. That's all right. The, the other one was Mark Kiger, who was, he pinch oh, ran twice for the A's in 2006, I think it was, and okay. never played in the big leagues again. So you, you don't want to be compared to Mark Kiger. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Mondesi, okay. You know, he, he's turned out all right. So if it, if it, if it works out like that, uh, you know, so, so be it. Um, I wanted to ask you just, you know, the, the twins have always been a, a, a team that has done such a good job of promoting from within and seeing young guys get up to the big leagues. And you're kind of next in, in that group, uh, you know, and you knew this from the time that they took you in the first round back in 2016. How excited are you now that you're kind of on this brink? Uh, and, and, you know, even one game showed that, all right, I know I can compete at this level. Now I'm ready to show, you know, get an opportunity to, to do it over the course of 162 games and not just one.
3: Yeah, like I said before, it's definitely something to be excited about. Um, you know, it's and it's what I've been working for for you know the last five seasons and even before that. Um, so I'm excited for this upcoming season. Um, you know, I, I know I have a lot of work to do this offseason, um, but you know, the Twins as an organization um, is is something I've been happy to have been a part of from the beginning, and um, you know, moving forward you know, being able to see and, and interact with some of the fans next year um, and having them back in, you know, hopefully back in the stadium and at our games, um, you know, the teammates, the staff, front office. Um, it's it's something that I'm happy to be a part of and, and look forward to hopefully being a part of for a long time. Um, so that's all motivating stuff and, you know, even more reason to, uh, you know, get after it going into next year. All
2: right, last one for you. You're a Pittsburgh kid. I live in Pittsburgh. We can't not at least mention the Steelers. So it's a simple question. Undefeated Super Bowl champions or just Super Bowl champions?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, undefeated might be a little bit of a stretch. Probably. I'm, I'm hoping for a good playoff run um, at the very least. Um, but hopefully they can figure out all this COVID stuff um, yeah. in the meantime. And – and we can see a full season um, to start with. So yeah, I I'm rooting the, for them. They look good so far, and, and hopefully that continues.
2: Right. I, I guess these days, just like it was with baseball, yeah. making it through a season is an accomplishment uh, enough with everything that's been, been going on in, in this country. So it's uh, it's probably a good perspective to have.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, Alex, it's great to reconnect with you. It's great to see you again, hopefully next time uh, in person. I had promised you long ago that I would be at your major league debut when we met back when you were in high school. Uh, you know, obviously that couldn't happen this time, so I'm asking for the mulligan, and I will try again uh, in the spring of 2021 if, if everything works out okay.
3: Sounds good. I will grant you the mulligan.
2: Right, I appreciate it. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much. Thanks, Jonathan. It was great to reconnect with Alex Karloff. I, you know, I went and saw him play in high school. Uh, you know, lives not far outside of the city where where I am in Pittsburgh, and uh, you knew then that he had a chance to be a very very gifted hitter. And uh, it was just fun to to see him to see him out on the field in the sort of bizarre you know circumstance to make your major league debut in the postseason and get a start. Um, and as he as he told us after we were done recording, which in some ways may have been the best line as he was preparing, you know, during warm ups for for game two and start. He realized that this was the first game that he was playing and that counted in over a year. Um, So he just took a moment to appreciate that and yet managed to keep sort of his internal motor slow enough so he could go and do the things that he does well, which is. Hit the ball hard, uh, and you know as long as he stays healthy, I think that Alex Kirilov is going to uh, vie for some batting titles uh, over the course of his big league career, and hopefully we'll start seeing that full-time next year.
0: All right, and another rookie who is, as we're recording this podcast, about to make postseason history, uh, will become the youngest starter in Yankees postseason history as a pitcher, it's uh, Davey Garcia. He'll be the youngest postseason starter in the big leagues since uh, Julio Urias, uh in uh, the 2006 NLCS. But guys, uh, Garcia being thrust into a uh, high leverage situation, moved into that uh, game two start for the Yankees. What do you think about that decision?
1: Uh, I like it. And not just because I'm excited to watch Garcia throw. Um, I think, I think it makes sense. Um, the Rays absolutely mash left-handed pitching um, especially left-handed fastballs and with um, uh, Ian Happ and Jordan Montgomery you know candidates to get some starts for the Yankees in the postseason I think who are both left-handed I think it makes sense that they're going with Garcia um, who hasn't seen the Rays and they're you know obviously the Rays haven't seen him and just going to give the give the team a different look and you know should that not work out should the start not? go as well as planned. They still have plenty of other options. Um, you know, you could almost consider Garcia as maybe working as an opener, but but the thing I like about him is, you know, he's not a big guy. Um, the stuff isn't crazy. The stuff is very good, but not crazy. Uh, but he's he's pretty durable, right? He he went deep into in, in several starts this year. Um, he pitched uh at least six innings in four of his six starts. So the durability is there. Um, He doesn't hurt himself with walks. You know, he's around the zone a lot. He'll give up some hits. Uh, I think what will be key for him against the Rays is really keeping the ball in the park. Um, He's had some home run issues uh, in his last couple regular season starts, um, giving up Uh, two home runs a piece in two of his final three regular season starts so if he's keeping the ball in the park and and, you know limiting amount of hard contact the Rays are making then I I think it's going to work out well and you know there there are plenty of options beyond Garcia but I I think using him in game two will give the Yankees better options later in the series if needed if that makes sense.
0: So guys much has been made of uh, the comparison of Sixto Sanchez to Pedro Martinez, we've seen uh, the two of them talk on MLB Network. Uh, Sanchez has a number 45 tattoo on his neck. Um, But Davey Garcia, another guy who grew up idolizing. And he's he's another guy that we actually, back at Rookie Career Development Program uh, of last year, We interviewed a player from every team, and one of the questions we asked them, just kind of a fun question at the end of the interviews with them, uh, we asked everybody what number they wear and why they wear it. And out of the 30 teams there, um, probably, what, about six or seven of them, we talked to um, Spanish-speaking players, and of them, three of them said that they wore number 45 because of Pedro Martinez. Uh, Sixto Sanchez was one of them, Davey Garcia was one of them, and Adonis Medina uh, was one of them. So we we thought, you know, that that's a pretty uh, big percentage of, of the players that we talked to that are Spanish speaking that said that they were number forty five because of specifically because of Pedro Martinez. So we thought we'd look into it a little bit more, and we did some digging and found that number forty five was worn by one hundred and sixty two players in the minor leagues. Last year in 2019, Um, one of those players, not surprisingly, being Pedro Martinez Jr., Pedro's son. Um, Of the 160 affiliated minor league teams last year, uh, 132 had a player where number 45 and among those 132 Dominican born players accounted for 55 of them, 42 percent of those, 49 of them were pitchers. So there's a huge number of Dominican pitchers that wear number 45. And uh, there's a, a really good story that uh, Anthony Castrovens did on this, uh, on our site. Um, guys, Sixto Sanchez, David Garcia, either one of these guys remind you more of Pedro than than the other?
1: Um, I'll say, I'll, I'll take the low-hanging fruit here and say Sixto. Well, actually, it works, it works. both guys apply, actually. Sixto because of the, the changeup. You know, Pedro had that legendary change up and fastball command and that's kind of that's kind of Sixto's jam and, and whereas uh, Davey you know he's got more of the Pedro physique the the undersized right-hander physique although I'm pretty sure Davey is smaller than than uh, Pedro is um, but but I think the both comparisons to Pedro and, and um, you know them trying to emulate him to some degree are, are pretty obvious in, in how they pitch and and um, just the overall profile that they bring to the table.
2: Yeah, I mean, and why not? If you're going to pick someone to emulate, uh, you know, he's, he's the guy to, to do it. And, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I remember being there at Rookie Career Development, and more, like, everybody's answer, well, not every, you know, it wasn't that many players, but we got so many of the same answers. That's when we're like, well, you know, what? I think there's there's got to be a story here. But I, I think it's, you know, the, the combination of, you know, the electric stuff and the chance to have, Really, really good command of it, along with uh, the sort of undersized nature. And there is, you know, uh, the I'm going to call it lazy, but, you know, the easy comp that can be made anytime you have a Latino undersized right hander with with dynamic stuff, you make the Pedro comp. You know, in the in the case of of Davey Garcia and Sixto Sanchez, they, you know, they love the comp and they embrace it and they clearly emulate him. And, and I think, you know, what adds to all of it is how accessible Pedro Martinez has been uh, over the years to, to young players. Uh, you know, he, he's long gone out of his way to help pitchers anywhere uh, on any team uh, with their stuff, with, you know, any of it. And I think that is just added to the desire for these young pitchers uh, to to sort of follow in his footsteps and, and you know and reach the same level of success that that he did over the course of his incredible career.
0: I love this matchup uh, with Garcia. You talked about his undersized profile, five nine, <laughs> and for the Rays facing the six foot eight Tyler Glasnow.
2: It's the long and short of it, right there.
1: I don't have it in front of me, but I'd be really curious to see the the difference in their extension towards the plate. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about a little bit about how each of the eight division series teams were built. This is a, a package that we've done going back many years where we, uh, typically we look at all 10 uh, postseason teams this year with the format changing. And with 16 teams, we decided to wait until we got to the division series round and look at the eight remaining teams. Uh, so basically what we do is we break it, we break down each team's roster and, um, into a few different categories. We break it down into a homegrown category, which consists of players who were drafted, um, signed as international free agents, or signed as non-drafted free agents. Those are the homegrown players. Um, Another category is trade slash waiver, which is primarily trades, but also includes rule five picks and waiver wire acquisitions. And then uh, the third category is free agents. And this is interesting, you know, every year it's interesting to look at um, over the past several years. Uh, I think one of the big takeaways, one, one of the things that we see most often when we put this out is all these Dodgers fans saying, oh, wait a minute. You know, the, I thought the Dodgers just bought all their players because they're often among the uh, most homegrown teams in the postseason. And that's the case again this year. Uh, they have 15 homegrown players. Uh, on their 28-player roster. Uh, The Astros are the only team with more homegrown players. They have 17. There are a couple teams uh, that underwent huge rebuilds over the past several years, and the composition of their roster really shows that. With the Padres only having three homegrown players, including just one drafted player, um, and the Marlins, who have just three homegrown players, both of those teams uh, lead the way in terms of the number of players they've acquired by trade uh, and waivers and Rule Five. Each of them with nineteen guys. W- what else stands out to you here?
2: You know, I think I mean the the Padres' number is kind of insane because uh, you think about the you know all the the youth movement and things like that. And I think your <clears throat> your first inclination without. You know, knowing much about the organization is oh well, they must have you know all these guys that they developed, you know, signed and developed themselves. And the the fact of the matter is, the way they went about it is, you know, they tried to win a while ago. It didn't work, and then they kind of blew it all up and brought in just an enormous amount of prospects. And they've even traded you know some away in the last two years as they've they've gotten better. Uh, but so, so many of the the trade acquisitions. Were acquired as prospects. Remember, Fernando Tatis Jr. was a trade acquisition, uh, but the Padres deserve credit for helping him develop because he was just getting started, uh, you know, in the minors when he was brought over from from the White Sox. And so, you know, I think, uh, and I think we we actually got someone on Twitter, and it would make the graphics probably a little too complex, uh, but. Uh, someone was suggesting that we break down the trade category to the this team, you know, brings in all the big leaguers at the trade deadline or in their last year of the contract, um, as opposed to you know looking at the Padres and the Marlins uh, where they traded for a ton of prospects who are now up in the big leagues helping them win. It was part of their rebuilding plan.
0: So another thing that we do, in addition to just looking at the uh, sheer number of, of players on the roster and how they break down, is we also look at the value of those players. Uh, so we took their uh, B-War, the baseball reference war totals for this year, for this season, and we look at each category um, based on that as well. The Padres, again, with their uh, the players that they acquired via trade, uh, have the highest war any category for any team at a uh, 12 war for this season. Uh, the Braves, uh, also with uh, trade acquisitions, are up there at 9.9 for the season. Uh, and actually, I, I thought it was interesting that six out of the seven highest category totals in terms of war uh, were of the trade waiver variety. Uh, Rays with nine war on their roster from players who they acquired by trade. Uh, the A's and Yankees, 7.4, 7.3. Uh, the Dodgers, even though we said they're are largely homegrown uh, with 7.6 war for from players that they acquired via trade. Uh, they're the one exception, The the out of those seven highest war totals I mentioned, their homegrown war total, um, Uh, They're uh, well not more specifically the players they drafted is nine, Um, and uh, I know that's the one particular draft class of theirs uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later. But uh, you know, Jim's not here this week to to say I've I've said it a million times before and talk about how good the Dodgers are at developing uh, talent.
2: We could just replay something he said. You know, Dan Gentili, our producer, can find it and we'll just plug that in. I think that's what we should do. Every week, in fact, we could be like, now is the Jim talks about how good the Dodgers organization is segment.
0: Well, since Jim's not here to defend himself, uh, let's let's talk about uh, last week we made our postseason picks. And uh, anytime you can defeat Callus in anything, I think you have to gloat about it. And uh, we made our postseason picks last week. And, Mike, unfortunately, we didn't get you in on yep. this. Um, but through the first round, Jim is in last place. And looking ahead, it doesn't look like he's got much of a chance to win. Um, he missed on five of his eight wild card, wild card series picks. Um, Jonathan, you got four out of eight. Uh, I got six out of eight. Jim missed on, uh, he had the Indians over the Yankees. He had the Twins over the Astros. Both of you uh, missing on that series, those two series. Um, all three of us had the White Sox over the A's. so We all missed on that one. Uh, we all three got the Rays over the Blue Jays. All All three of us had the Dodgers over the Brewers and the Padres over the Cardinals. We all three missed on... The Cubs over the Marlins. I think that was a a surprise to not only the three of us, but many. And uh, Jim kind of went out on a limb, said he thought the pitching of the Reds was going to uh, disrupt the Braves' bats. He took the Reds there. We both had the Braves. Um, In general, looking at that first round, um, like I said, I think the, uh, uh, the big surprise, obviously, with the Marlins over the Cubs, uh, but your your general impressions, guys, of the the way the first round shook out, and I guess Jonathan, you have all of your uh, division series you picks still uh, still alive, do you not?
2: Um, I think I have a shot. I have a shot. Uh, yeah, because I, I I picked Tampa Bay. No, uh, well, You know what? I think I had the I had the Twins going to the ALCS, so. But you, both you and Jim, had the White Sox, so I'm I'm okay there. I have a shot. I have a shot of catching you. I'm very impressed um, by you with your six for eight. That uh, that's that's strong work in in any in any kind of bracket. I'm curious, you know, Mike, as the outside observer, um, you know, w- how he can uh, break down just how poorly Jim did.
1: I was I was about to say I, I think <laughs> we should continue talking about how Jim finished dead last year and
0: you know,
1: five of his picks were wrong. So um, I, I don't I don't think we should ever lose sight of that just even when we're doing future contests, drafts, you know, all, all the stuff that we do. We'll, we'll we'll come back to this. I'm not gonna'll
2: we'll, uh, put it. this part out and just I'm gonna send it to him like every day. just this just this little segment right here.
1: Just replay it on every future podcast.
0: I think what it will it will come down to is you have the you have the Rays winning it all and I had the Dodgers over the Rays. I think it may come down to,
2: to that. that. We may now, have to
0: Now we need we to see the Dodgers
2: Rays World Series. Yes, and then we'll have to us. revisit any kind of uh, side.
0: We'll also have to re- re- uh, remind Jim that he was pushing for this to for us to be wagering $25,000.
2: Oh, that's right. Is it can we now say okay, you're on?
0: Yeah, I, th- I, think we, uh, I think we said no at the time, but we me go back and edit that as well, Danny.
2: Yes, we'll fix that. I had forgotten that part.
0: All right, guys, let's rewind just a little bit and take a look back at the regular season. We've been talking primarily about the postseason here, uh, but Mike, you've done a really fantastic uh, article on the top rookie stat cast performers from the regular season. We've already touched on uh, the Absolute Bombs hit by Sean Murphy, uh, longest home run of the regular season. And then that, uh, outdone by Lewis Robert in the postseason. Um, but you have, uh, broken down any number of categories here, uh, the stat cast numbers. And why don't you, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, some of the more notable names and numbers here.
1: Yeah. And as I was saying earlier in the episode, um, when referencing, uh, Sean Murphy's home runs and, and some other things that. You know this year gives us a unique opportunity to get um you know stat cast data and, and just all sorts of measurables on guys who you know this year's rookie class which is largely um prospects guys who have we've been covering for years now so it's just really cool to be able to um you know be able to have i don't know firm firm data w- with a lot of these players and there were some players who really stood out. I'm gonna I'm just gonna hit on two hitters and two pitchers who I thought were pretty interesting. Um, the first is uh, Brian Hayes. I don't think he he didn't get called up until what the end of August. Um, but you know you, you can make a case that he's already Pittsburgh's best all around player. Um, and, and particularly what he did at the plate was really impressive. Uh, he had the best average exit velocity, um, 92.8 miles per hour, among all. Uh, qualified rookies or or at least those that had 50 batted balls. And he also had the best hard hit rate of 55.4%. And both of those are among the best in baseball, not just rookies, but it it puts him in the top 10 in in both categories. And, you know, and that's not even talking about what he brings to the table defensively. You know, he's been the third baseman on our all- uh, pipeline, all prospect defense team for for several years now, that's always kind of been his calling card. So um, I think the, the hitting ability and the consistency of his contact, consisting qual- in quality of his contact has been, uh, was, was the most impressive thing. And I think Pirates fans have a, a lot to be excited about going forward. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got a guy like Evan White uh, spent last 2019 season in double a and made the mariners opening day roster was their everyday first baseman for the season um, you know he had a rough year uh batted 176 41.6 percent strikeout rate but when he did make contact uh you know he had the best um, barrel rate per per batted balls and he also had a 52.5 percent hard hit rate so the quality of his contact is very good you know it's just he needs to be better. Um, well, he needs to swing and miss less. He needs to be more selective, but, but the the baseline ability is there for him to be a really good player. Uh, and uh, in, in terms of pitchers, one thing that I was not aware of I always knew Christian Javier had a good slider, but I didn't realize how good it was exactly. Um, his, his slider uh, hitters went five for 59 against it, had an expected batting average of 0.95, and the bats were uh, that ended with the slider. Um, and based on weighted on base percentage, uh, Javier Slider was the sixth best pitch and second best slider in baseball during the regular season. So, um, you know, I think fans what he, he threw yesterday, he pitched pitch well in relief yesterday. Uh, fans were able to get a look at that. And then one guy who we didn't see in the postseason because he uh, wasn't included on the Brewers roster due to uh, a shoulder injury was Devin Williams. And I think that we can all agree that Williams was the best reliever in baseball this season, guys. Easy. Yeah, It just just. Absolutely insane numbers. There's Uh, no argument there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nearly a 52% whiff rate, uh, highest recorded by any qualified pitcher since the start of the pitch tracking era in 2015. Finished the season with the lowest expecting batting average, uh, which was also the best since the start of 2015. Um, 179 expected Woba. Um, His changeup is, you know, I I don't even know how to describe it. I think we've like run out of words to, to... praise just how good that changeup is but uh the expe- uh, expected batting average for hitters was um 066 there was an 078 slugging the wobo was was 077 and he generated a 61.1 percent whiff rate with the pitch which is just actually unbelievable <laughs> but um yeah I, I mean that that's what what a boost to the brewers bullpen this was a guy who was a two thousand thirteen second um second round pick was developed as a starter had uh, Tommy John surgery. Had some some minor injuries. Was moved to the bullpen when he finally returned in 2019, and and went straight from AA to the major leagues. And then this year, he's um, you know, he's he's the most valuable and, and, and impressive reliever in baseball. And th-
0: this is just uh, really the the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, the Statcast breakdown that Mike uh, provided here. Uh, that story is on MLB.com/slash Pipeline. Highly recommend you. Go and check it out. He's got uh, absolutely everything on there uh, that you could want to uh, read about in terms of uh, how rookies performed in terms of their stat cast numbers. A really, really good piece. Um, guys, let's wrap up by answering a question that we had sent in to us. Uh, this came from Brown 998 on Twitter. Uh, as a reminder, you can send us questions. Yeah, you can tweet them at us. Jim and Jonathan often uh, will uh, – Send out tweets soliciting uh, questions from you. Uh, You can also send them to uh, pipeline at MLB.com if you want to email them in. Ben asked, uh, what's the best team's draft class in this playoff? And then he went ahead and answered his own question. He said, surely the 2016 Dodgers, right? Luck, Smith, May, and Gonsolin. And Ben, I don't know if you knew the answer already, uh, but that is indeed the correct answer.
2: We can we can affirm that he he nailed it. It's uh, it's kind of crazy <laughs> because and it's not by the way just those guys on the Dodgers. There are guys from the Dodgers draft class elsewhere. Right? Andre Scrub is, is still on the
1: postseason roster, correct? Yep, he's in the Astros bullpen.
2: Right, so he's in the Astros bullpen. That's a, another guy from the Dodgers twenty sixteen draft. So you know, we talked a little bit a while ago about how these teams are built and how homegrown the Dodgers uh, were. Uh, The the drafts that they have um, have just been incredibly good. Uh, You know, and the 2016 one really really jumps out. I guess you know their 2015 draft was really good. Um, There were some other teams that have done well in the draft. You know, the Astros have 10 draftees on their, on their postseason roster. Currently that's tied for the same amount. They just weren't as productive this year. Uh, You know, not as much, uh, not as much impact. Some of that has to do with the fact that Alex Bregman, you know, did not have a typical Alex Bregman year. They're 2015 draft, I guess would be the only thing that might be close just because they have four guys. From from that draft class in the big leagues with Bregman, Miles, Garrett Stubbs, uh, and of course uh, Kyle Tucker, um, but uh, I think just what uh, the the Dodgers draft has, was able to do that twenty sixteen draft uh, is you know just absolutely absolutely insane what uh, what they've been able to do uh, in terms of finding their own players and then of course having. The financial wherewithal to keep them for as long as they as long as they would like, which is you know what puts them probably ahead of uh, a lot of the other teams that we talk about
0: in terms of the uh, overall draft classes that are impacting this postseason. It seems like the it looks like the uh, 2011 and 2012 classes. That's kind of the sweet spot. Uh, you've got Mookie Betts, Garrett Cole, um, George Springer. All 2011 picks, uh, along with Blake's, uh, Blake's, uh, yeah, Blake Snell and Tyler Glasnow, and then from the 2012 class, Max Fried, Corey Seager, uh, Carlos Correa. Uh, if you if you look at the overall draft classes and the WAR produced this year, uh, those two classes are are the ones that have uh, that are really impacting this postseason.
2: 2011 is really interesting because you mentioned you know Cole and Glasnow were both from that. Pirates draft so Pirate fans are shaking their heads and then Blake Snell you know even though knows on the Rays now that was that famous Rays draft where they had you know 49 picks in the top two rounds and Blake Snell is really the only player to come out of it with any real value and certainly only value for for the Rays uh, but he obviously uh, has stood out quite a bit.
0: All right, everybody, thanks for joining us for this week's Pipeline podcast. Look for the Pipeline podcast every Wednesday. We'll be back at you next week.